Blog Talk Radio. It's already It's the Pressure Points Unpacked Podcast with host Tyra Little. We're live Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. This show deals with personal and community issues by getting to the root cause and causes on an open and raw level. We're unpacking emotional, spiritual, mental, and physical topics that influence and often control us. Get ready to unload, examine, and process. Let's get unpacked. On Never Handed So Good Sports Media Network, Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Hello, and welcome to Pressure Points Unpacked, where we are transforming Tuesdays spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically. I'm your host, Tyra Little, and my co-host for the month of July is Dr. Sarissa Huji who is a doctor of nursing practice and psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner. I also have Tracy Hugey, who is the pastor of Grace Place Ministries and the president of Grace Alive Nonprofit that focuses on youth. Today we have with us Aaliyah, a forensic interviewer for children. And today we're going to dive into childhood trauma. So let's get unpacked. I want to do something a little different today. I want to open up by giving a little backdrop on childhood trauma. Childhood trauma is the single and most predictor of physical and mental illness. When trauma happens, it immediately creates instability in children's brains. If the home is unsafe, then they view the world as unsafe. So with that, I would like to introduce my sister, my friend, Aaliyah Simon, um, and Aaliyah, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hello, everyone. Um, like Tara said, my name is Aaliyah Simon. I am first and foremost a wife of the most handsome man in the world. His name is Todd Simon. And I have three beautiful girls, one that's in college and two that's in, you know, still in the house. Um, I am a forensic interviewer. Um, I also um, do motivational speaking as well. So that's a little bit about me. Oh, and I'm a published author. (laughs) I was getting ready to say that, and you are definitely. So, Aaliyah, I want you to tell us a little bit, um, give us a backdrop about what um, the forensic interviewers do. So most people don't know who forensic interviewers are. And that might, that's a good and a bad thing. Um, so I work for a child, um, a child, a children's advocacy center. And so a forensic interview is a developmentally neutral fact-finding investigative tool used to gather information regarding allegations of sexual abuse, um, witness to domestic violence, um, any other type of violence. Um, physical abuse or any other type of abuses, um, we are used by law enforcement, by Child Protective Services, and um, prosecutor's office um, to interview children on their behalf. Okay. 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 Um, Dr. Hughes, um, as we opened up with the information about um, the little backdrop to childhood trauma, 
if I'm not mistaken now, um, Aaliyah, your agency that you work for, you guys, um, do you guys provide some type of counseling for the children or? Yes. So after a child is seen um, for the forensic interview, they are also they also receive forensic medicals, um, and then from there, um, we um, refer them if needed for um, a type of counseling called trauma focused cognitive behavioral therapy, TFCBT for short. Okay. Okay. Um, Dr. Hughes, can you expound on? that type of the trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy? Sure, sure. I'll be happy to do that. Um, when Tyra and I were talking about this before, I told her um, that I do have a certification in trauma-focused CBT, um, but I do not do any therapy formally. So um, I have a lot of people that contact me for therapeutic services. Um, but basically, trauma-focused CBT is sort of a holistic approach. It involves um, the parents in the process. Um, there's usually a designated amount of sessions. Um, you know, part of the process is the child actually developing a narrative um, about the experience, the trauma, um, and, and reading that narrative and just basically increasing their distress tolerance tolerance, meaning their ability to talk through that without it producing so much anxiety and becoming so overwhelming. Um, and through that process, of course, the child is provided with a ton of support from um, not only the therapist, but also their family members or caregivers. Wow. Okay. So, Dr. Hughie, when, um in reading that opening statement, and um, I know this was something that you and I talked about, and um, you were explaining to me um, how when childhood trauma, you know, how it hits, how it creates that instability in the child's brain. And so um, mm-hmm. I wanted you to kind of dive in it. It sounds a little bit more. Um, absolutely. Yes, so um, I want to go back to what you said about childhood trauma being the single most um, predictor of both mental illness and physical illness. Um, there's this really large study um, done by Kaiser Permanente. It's called the Adverse Childhood Experience Study. Um, and basically yeah. what they did was they surveyed a bunch of adults um, who may have had certain risk factors, may have had mental illnesses or physical illnesses, and um, they had seen what we call ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences, and they saw a direct correlation between the amount of adverse childhood experiences that these individuals had with um, their either mental or physical health. Um, so we saw that direct correlation um, between those two things. So it really speaks to um, the larger implications of what happens when children experience trauma. Um, and we know that children, their brains are still developing and being shaped, the neural networks are being formed. And so um, if you're familiar with child development, home obviously is supposed to be a place of safety. Family members are are supposed to provide safety and affirmation um, for children to develop appropriately. So when trauma happens in a place where there's supposed to be safety, 
that's where it creates that instability in the child because the idea is if home is not safe, then the world is not safe. Um, and you see that can manifest in so many different ways. Um, it can cause children to really suffer in terms of their social and emotional development and even their ability to um, engage in meaningful relationships in the future. Um, we often see that children will duplicate the trauma that they've experienced in their childhood and their adult life, for example, um, if they've experienced either sexual or um, emotional abuse um, or even physical abuse, abuse as a child, you may see that they um, attract abusive relationships because that becomes normal for them. The chaos becomes normal. And that's not always the case, but we, we can certainly see where individuals um, have chronic trauma based on what they've experienced um, as children. Wow. Well, Pastor Hughes, um, I, uh, go ahead, oh, go ahead, Aaliyah. I just know that with now that is not to say that um, someone who has been sexually abused will go on to sexually abuse. Um, that is, um, there's been a study in reference to that as well, and that's not the most likely situation. Um, sexual abuse is more correlated with witness to domestic violence and um, physical abuse, there's a correlation to that more so than it is for my being sexually abused. So I just wanted to put that out there. Uh, um, Pastor, Pastor Yuji, so from perspective of everything that um, Dr. Hughie has just, just said and, you know, opening up with, you know, the definition of, with childhood trauma, from a spiritual standpoint, what can you what can you say from from a spiritual standpoint about? Yes. That's the Yuji. Okay, so I can hear you now. Okay. Okay, okay great. I said good evening, everybody. And I just I didn't get an opportunity to say hello to Leah. Hey, Leah. Hello, Pastor Tracy. Um, yeah. Uh, so I wanted to comment on a couple of things, and something that we talked about last night is that everybody likes to go on a trip, right? We we all excited when we get ready to travel. You know, we're packing and all that stuff. The dreaded part of the trip is when you get back and you have to unpack. Mm -hmm. And the problem is from childhood to adulthood, we're packing going on this trip. Or let's just say at childhood we pack for the trip and we experience some things. But when we get to be adults, we have to unpack, right? And that's the dreaded part because we don't want to deal with that. And sometimes we find uh, alternative cover us to deal with our traumatic experiences. And there's something that we have heard so many times in especially Christian arenas about generational curses. And to, to couple with Sarissa said and what Aaliyah said is that when people experience things, Sometimes they go on to repeat 
what's been done to them. The studies that show that there's a correlation between abuse and sexual abuse is, is, is we can't deny science. But we have this idea of generational curses. From my study in scripture, there is no such thing as a generational curse. And I know that challenges a lot of people's beliefs. But here's what it is. What we experience, what we know of life, is how we form our worldviews. If we see, you know, daddy smack mama around, chances are that's what we're going to do because that's our example. If we see uncles, you know, women eyes, that's, that's what we're going to do because that's our example. And so the... The challenge then becomes when we experience people who have experienced these types of traumas, then it is imperative that we understand the why. And not the what. Because we often minister to the what and not to the why. We minister to what they're doing. We, we, we minister to young girls, or, or, we, or we, we, we try to address them because of what they're doing, because they're promiscuous. We uh, address young men that may uh, struggle with, with alternative lifestyles, whatever the case might be, people in general. We, we minister to the what and not the why. There's a reason why people behave the way they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, uh-huh. so it's so, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. What you're saying is why I was just saying, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It's a reason. Yeah. And so when we, when we understand why people are doing things, we can be more effective in ministering to the what. Mm-hmm. Very true. Um, you guys, let me see right quick because we do have, um, as we always ask every week, you know, call in. You can call in at 914-205-5361. I see two numbers that have popped up, and I just want to see. They could be listening, but they may have a question. I'll check and see. Caller, last four, five, one, one, seven. Do you have a question, or are you just listening? Caller five one. Okay, thank you. Caller zero three seven five. Do you have a question, or are you just listening? I'm just listening. Are you okay, stop stretching? Okay, thank you. Okay, so Aaliyah, I know that um, you know we, we definitely won't go into you know talking about you know naming but I know, you know, if you can kind of shed some light, because I, I know this, um, just what you do um, in, in some of the interviewing the children, um, do you guys ever do any follow-up on them, like after the case is done and, you know, you went to court and 
um, everything is finished, do you guys still monitor or follow up with their therapy, or what what does that piece look like? So, yes, we have um, advocates um, at our center who who actually follow up um, in three-month increments. Mm-hmm. So we we kind of you know just we follow the case. Um, if it so happens to go to court, some of them um, don't go always go to court. Um, but I, I I would like to back up just a moment. We're talking about sexual abuse as uh, one of um, one of the traumas that children deal with, and I I just want to throw out some numbers in reference to that because the one thing that I've learned is people will, especially because a lot of times this happens within families and it's not strangers. We think it's more so mm-hmm. stranger things, family things. And so I want to point out that, you know, a lot of times we don't believe, but let me tell you, only one in one to 4% of cases where you have sexual abuse is the allegation are fabricated. Between one and four percent, and seventy-five percent of that is adults who actually said it, not a child. Wow. So I want to point that out. So when kids say that I have been touched inappropriately, I have been touched. We need to listen and we need to believe them because children don't usually make up stories like that. That is very, very rare for a child to come up with something like that on their own. Okay. So the other thing is um, that I want people to know is 30% of uh, victims never disclose to anybody. And um, 80% initially deny that they've been abused. And then you have 75% of those who accidentally disclose. They didn't mean to tell. If something happened, they end up telling. Or someone found out somehow, some way. So this is one of those things that is very Secretive, and I think a big part of the secret part of it is because it's usually a family member, somebody that is close to the family, somebody that is um, um, a community person that everybody loves. So people, you they and they let them know people won't believe you. So I want to point that out. The other thing I want to point out is trauma does not have to go to the extreme of um, sexual abuse. It could be witness to domestic violence. This, that right there alone, you can actually get charged now if, you, if your child is in a vicinity of somebody being abused. If they hear you getting abused or see you getting abused, that can be added to the charges. And let me oh, wow. tell you, and so, so for instance, yes, and your children can be taken away from you with um, CPS. Yes, that is a possibility. So, um um, so examples of that would be, um, in, in which we've had these, where a child or children were in the same house when something took place between a mom and a dad. Mom, of course, did not tell the whole story or only told part of it or, or whatever the case may be. The child came in for a forensic interview. Those charges went from you know, a DV second to a DV first. There's kidnapping charges that was added to that. Why? Because he, he took a phone away. Or he um, he kept her from leaving a room so she wasn't able to get out or call for help. Those are things that, you know, sometimes people don't tell 
but then a kid tells it in a forensic interview, and then the trauma that now that child has. And so then we have, of course, counseling for that child because that was a traumatic event. Traumatic events also can be a car accident. Traumatic events can also be growing up in the hood. Let's be real. These are traumatic things that happen, and it's different things that come when you become an adult. And on a personal note, I was diagnosed with PTSD. I never was in the military. I never went to war. But because of my background living in North New Jersey, once I was removed from that space, I had PTSD. <laughs> and you you have a lot of kids that are dealing with that 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 every day that they live in this life that type of lifestyle where they hear gunshots all the time, they see violence and things of that nature. And we never think about the fact that these kids could be suffering with some type of mental health illness because of the environment in which they live in. It's a war zone. Right. And, and I think so one of the I, big I, things that you that that you just said, Aaliyah, one of the big things you just said about, you know, PTSD and not being in the military, and I think for a long time, um, people do PTSD as a mental illness or, you know, an effect that happened from coming from the military. But as you just right. said, and as we know, I mean, PTSD, just like I said, it can come from a car wreck. I mean, there's numerous mm-hmm. things. Um, it could also come from, as I as I like to say a lot, we sit and we mm-hmm. watch these horrendous videos over and over again. Yeah. You can become traumatized from watching that. I mean, yeah. that has to do something to your brain. I mean, you you can't convince mm-hmm. me that watching that does not does not do something to to your to your psyche. I mean, mm-hmm. You know, so. Yeah. I think that's a big thing and I, that needs that stigma needs to be removed, you know. Go ahead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I have a story in reference to that. So, of course, you know, with the the um, police shootings and things of that nature, our kids are being affected in ways that will eventually we'll see long-term. long-term. And and I have an example of, of an incident where my husband was pulled over and we were in the car with him. And I just so happened to be in a back seat with the youngest daughter because my other daughter had a, a – um, her leg was messed up, so we let her sit up in the front. And so we pulled, we were pulled over, and you can, you can feel, like, <laughs> the tenseness in the air. Mm-hmm. My youngest daughter, because this is around the time where everything with George Ford and, 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 and Brianna Taylor and all of this stuff is happening, and I'm not allowing them to necessarily look at it, but, you know, they can't help it, social media, this. You can't help but right. to see and hear everything that's happening. And if we're not talking to our kids and actually, you know, having these conversations, they have these things, these, this fear that's built up in them. And so we're there. Everybody is nervous and scared because my black husband is being pulled over. Now you have my little daughter in the back, and she is panicked. Like she really broke down and cried because we were pulled over by law enforcement. Now I have police. Um, My sister is an officer. I have law enforcement all through my family, first cousins, everything. I work closely with law enforcement, but in that moment, scared, and my baby was even more so. Like, she 
creaked all the way out. So what I'm saying is, like, that type of trauma, she's never experienced anything negative with law enforcement, never. But because of what has been happening, her experience is now that she, she, she witnessed this. She's witnessing this trauma, and now it is now her trauma. Does that make sense? Well, no, it does because mm-hmm. we, have to, we have to truly yeah. right because because we have to be real. You know, in our community, um, you know, it's unfortunate, but we still even if we keep them from watching anything on TV or you know we do have the social media out here, but we as parents have to train our children on the things that um, Pastor Tracy talked about last week. You know, we have to train our children that when you are stopped by the police, you know, you have to do X, Y, Z, Z, Y, X, wherein other people, you know, other communities are not necessarily having to train their children how. And then you have the, you still have, you, it's a fear. You still have a fear of if I do everything right, guess what? I still may get shot. I have friends that are, law enforcement that are police officers also. And they will be honest with you, especially African-American police officers. You know, some of them may go around, as I said, I have a whole issue with this blue lives because, but when they're honest about it, hey, if they get pulled over and you don't have that law enforcement uniform on, guess what? Some of them will tell you, I'm scared. It, 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 mm-hmm. It's just a fact, you know? It's, it, it's just a fact. Um, and Aaliyah, kind of since you have segued, went that. Let me ask you a question um, because I know this is something that we have talked about before. Where, um, and then I want to I want to go back to Sarissa, but we've talked about before how, for some reason, when our children, our community, our African American community children get into the system mm-hmm. or they fall into the system. They are labeled different. They they, they are children, but they are. What, they how was it that? Yeah, how was it that they're labeled? So, I mean, it is amazing because like um, I first noticed it in like training, and I noticed how when you have a teenage um, um, black boy or a black girl that they are labeled as young adults. Where it, when you have a teenager that um, that you that's of the other um, white, they're they're labeled as kids, as teenagers. So it's like so when you view them, if you're being if you're being trained, and this is how your trainer views your, so then you begin to view our kids as teenage, as as adults, as young adults, and that's how they view our teenagers. As adults, they are not children. So people, and I don't know whether it's a conscious thing or what, but they actually view our children like that. They don't see them as children. They see them as Mm. adults. And so that's an issue because you begin to treat them differently. Right. Um, I just want to jump in on something that Aaliyah said. And I guess we 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 really shouldn't be asking questions like uh, you know I don't know why they do it if it's if it's unintentional it's a part of the systematic discrimination it's a part of the systematic racism that exists because right you, it is very difficult 
for almost any adult to see a a teenager and refer to them as an adult. Mm-hmm. Would you guys agree or disagree with that? I, I agree. I agree. So systematically, if I can qualify you to another category, then I can technically deal with you differently. Right. Based on age and severity of crime, which, you know, it's funny because I was thinking about this today. How when when we are faced, when our community is faced, faced with certain things, they automatically get put into a more severe category. So if someone, let's just say, if they get charged with a certain crime and, and the crime could go to it, it, it's borderline felony or misdemeanor. Mm-hmm. More times than not, an African-American is going to get the sentence or the charge that's on the side of the felony. Correct. Versus Correct. the misdemeanor. Because mm-hmm. then if, if you're charged with a felony, then your voting rights are, are revoked. Your, your right to bear arm is revoked. It's a part of of the systematic breakdown of defense. So when we yes. when we consider those things, it's it's not it, we shouldn't even have to question that. And I know that's mm-hmm. that's just like a kind of like an arbitrary, you know, you know. Well, could it be that? Could it, but you know, in light of everything else, I just it's hard for me to conceive that it's that it's not a part of the bigger plan. Mm. And I wanted to ask Sarissa, what, what what is the technical term for trauma we experience as a group? Racial trauma or cultural trauma. Um, and we talked about last week the compounding effects of it and what Aaliyah was describing is, is what they call intergenerational trauma. So even though um, her daughter had never experienced um, or had any interactions with law enforcement that were negative, it's, it's almost like we put that fear in her, um, whether knowingly or unknowingly, because of exposure to the media. And in general, we as African Americans, how we respond to law enforcement then she's kind of adopted that fear, even though that experience is not her own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was going to say, too, that, that that's, you know, with my children, I teach them to be respectful to everyone. Mm-hmm. Law enforcement don't get extra respect. They don't get extra respect. You respect everybody. Right. So when you deal with them, you do not deal with them fearfully. You deal with mm-hmm. them respectfully, like you deal with them res- like you deal respectfully respectfully to anyone. But to tell our children and to perpetuate that that hideous cycle of saying, "Oh, you better be afraid of them. If you get stopped, you might get shot." What is that to tell your child? Mm-hmm. That is so. 
counterproductive in my opinion. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I do and, and really and truly, I mean I I definitely feel like we need to educate our children, but mm-hmm. we do have to be careful about what trauma we put on them that it doesn't belong or what burdens we pass down to them that don't belong to them. Um, and, and this is just kind of a light example, but I was even thinking about, um, you know, my daughter, her hair, you know, is taking a while to grow in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so my obsession with hair because of my own personal hair trauma and things that I experienced with my hair as a child and, and being picked on about, you know, the way that my hair looked and the way that my hair was, I have to be careful that I don't pass that to her. Um, if that right. Happens. So there's so right. many other things that we can pass to our children, burdens and responsibilities and trauma that's not really theirs, and it doesn't have any place in them. And it also can create instability um, because we are hypervigilant around certain things or we are um, overly expressive or triggered by certain things, then it becomes mm-hmm. their triggers. Right. 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 Yeah. Right. Absolutely right. I, absolutely. Love, I love triggers. I love the word triggers because then, um, but the other thing I say about um, triggers is um, can't nobody pull the trigger that uh, the gun that I'm holding. So right. to know yeah. your triggers, yeah. Yeah. you have to know your triggers, and because you know mm-hmm. them, how anybody else could pull it. So, right. you right. know, like, but that's, Again, that's going through your trauma, going back in your trauma, learning about, you know, different things of that nature, what, what unpacking what you've been through. And a lot of times mm-hmm. we end up unpacking, we've been taught, and I'm going to be honest with you, the church has taught me how to um, cover up and how to behave, how I should be behaving. Behavioral and modification and not life change and transformation. Behavior modification versus life change and transformation. And that is, I mean, that's really a topic that I'm very passionate about um, mm-hmm. because vulnerability um, is a lost mm-hmm. art. Um, and, yeah. and we're so quick to throw scripture um, at people, which are, you know, obviously for scripture, but people learn to do church rather than be the church and to really be transformed and changed by the love of Christ. Um, and, yeah. you know, even for me going through, you know, my journey with infertility and really, um, you know, having difficult 12 years of not being able to conceive a child and, really wanting to rely on people only to be told that I just needed to trust God, um, you know, rather than having empathy for my challenge and my difficulty, that doesn't negate the fact that I have faith. It just, I'm just right. a human being, um, you know, that's experiencing challenges. And so really not having a space to be vulnerable because um, it can be considered or perceived as a lack of faith. Mm-hmm. Hey, can I jump in real quick? I agree, and that the behavior modification thing is what I have in my book. I talk about for a quick moment um, um, being taught how to behave, behavior modification, and it does not really hold true because there's no heart transformation, and there's no heart transformation if there's no relationship, not to a building, but to Christ. So, Amen. Um, and that, 
the true healing began was is when, of course, um, I realized that I needed to become undone. I needed to face mm-hmm. all of those first childhood experiences. I needed to dive into that trauma. And so that's what it means to become unpacked is to dive into mm-hmm. the root of things. Not, you know, not you can't pull something from a root if you don't know what the root is. Come on. Right. Yeah. Come on. You yeah, can't call something yeah. out unless you know exactly what it is. So it's like, you know, um, sitting with yourself and learning and, and really listening and going back to those points in your life where those traumas happened and and then calling them out like that and then doing the work. Because that is, that's a mind shift, that mindset shift that you Mm-hmm. All the things that you used to tell yourself because you believed a lie because of the trauma that you experienced. You believed all these lies that you weren't enough, that you're this, you're that, or whatever the case may be. And it all goes back to a trauma that you experienced. Yeah. And, and having, said that, Leah, having said that, can I, can I jump in? And I, I would like for you and, and Sarissa to kind of um, probably tag team this one. Uh Revelation twelve eleven says that they overcame him, the enemy, by the blood mm-hmm. of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Okay, so think about y'all follow follow me with this train of thought here. Our community, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm going to ask the two professionals to to jump in on this, but we have the highest. Uh, rate of molestation of any other group. I think it's like one in every four black females, something like that. Can, can, you, can you guys 50%, confirm or deny 50% versus 25% of the general population. Okay. So now, if, if that is the case, and, and like Leo was saying, you know, being able to unpack and, and putting your stuff out and, and, and dealing with your you know, challenges, and how we we really perpetuate this cycle of defeat because if, going back to the previous conversation, if somebody in the family or a neighbor or the preacher or the deacon or something like that did something to somebody, we are taught to keep our mouth shut. So mm-hmm. then the child, the young adult, the adult can't, even confess, they can't even overcome by the word of their testimony. This happened to me. <laughs> and so they can't even get the counseling that they need because they got to listen to this phrase. They are forced to keep their mouths shut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we walk around, and, you know, kind of internally imploding and internally dying because we can't open our mouths. And this is what happens to children so many times. And so just like what Aaliyah was saying in the beginning, um, you know, about how the person that has violated them a lot of times believe them. It was Aaliyah, either was it Sarissa. It may have been both of you guys that said, said, said the same thing. But, you know, I guess it's going to take more of, but then even, I, I don't know, more of parents 
teaching their children that, hey, I don't care what anybody tells you, you know, that I will. You know, because I, I, I've had a couple of friends who have lived in homes, unfortunately, to where the mother was aware. The person was aware. Someone else was aware that this child was being mistreated, um, that they were being fondled, uh, molested, and they did nothing. They were being locked in a room, um, taught with a young man, you know, on day before yesterday, um, you know, and, and just some of the things that he shared about how, you know, you're being locked in a room, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and no one does anything until finally he opens his mouth and says something. And so I don't know. It, it has to be some type of a, you know, my mind is thinking now of the children who are in homes that the parents never, that they are aware and they don't do anything. What is what is their outlook? What, what does their outlet look like? And I just, I'm just wondering how, what can we do? To help, I mean, because in situations like that, that that poor child don't know who to trust, who to turn to. Right. So there is, of course, education programs that are out there in reference to that. Like, so that's why um, some advocacy centers and different um, agencies they go and they hold um, education sessions inside schools. And, you know, that's one of those accidental or not an accidental, but it's one of those um, purposeful disclosures. Somebody finds out what has been going on with them is not normal. Some kids don't know that this is not right. Right. So you have that there. Some kids just didn't know, and it wasn't until somebody educated them on what that was that they said something. Parents not telling. Um uh, I've even heard in cases, well, it happened to me and I'm just fine. Yeah. I've heard I've heard a boy say, well, I didn't say anything because I didn't want nobody to think I was gay. So our responses, and sometimes kids will say little things just to kind of test the water. And based right. off the family's response, they'll tell you more or they will pull all the way back and never say a word based off of somebody's reaction to them. Right. So right. It, 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 it's very unfortunate. Again, more than likely, the person who is the perpetrator is somebody that is in the family. And we sweep it under the rug. We'll go mm-hmm. through like, you know, um, granddaddy beating on grandma is swept under the rug, just like, you know, everything else. That's the type of environment that I grew up in. You didn't tell what, you know, what happened behind closed doors. You just that's did, right. and that's our business. Mm-hmm. 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 You, you so hear what that I, often, what, I really what, happens, hear. what happens in my house stays in my house, you know. My, this is right, not the right. thing that you go out and you share. And Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate because you're doing more damage. And there was another thing that you said, Aaliyah, that is, is so, um, again, there are no perfect. Tracy's probably going to get me for making that statement just then, <laughs> for doing the disclaimer. But, um, you know, one of the things that I always tried to do was whenever your kids begin to tell you something, and, and this is just a nugget for parents, man, as these kids grow older, sometimes they're telling you it's their friends. It is not their friend. It is them. But depending on how you respond, if they're telling you about their friend, sometimes we have to be quiet and just listen sometimes, hear what they're saying, and maybe turn that question around to them and say, well, how do you feel about it? 
And, you know, this is what mm-hmm. you're saying that happens to your friends. How, how, how do you think their parents should? Because now you're opening up, you're changing, you're opening up this dialogue. But if you are going to go hard and, oh, well, that's not going to happen in my house, that's blah, 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 you may just be robbing yourself from the information that you may need to help your own child. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. So what I hear you saying is that we need to create emotional safety um, in our homes for our children. And oftentimes, because we don't want to face our junk, you know, as parents, we don't we don't give our children the space to be emotional because it makes us uncomfortable. Um, so mm-hmm. a, a, another step further, in addition to creating that emotional safety, is to deal with our own junk, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The um, also another thing I want to point out is: can we please normalize um, educating our kids on their body parts? That is another pick. That is another thing. Okay. If I'm a yeah, kid, yeah. And I'm past the kid that's talking about somebody touching on my pocketbook. I'm not hearing that. Right. So you have yeah. kids that call their private areas different things. Let's normalize saying exactly what that is. So when a ch- when somebody when a child says that, you know exactly what they're talking about. So we have Absolutely. to. Absolutely. Can you tell the story that coincides with what what Leah said? Uh, and the teacher felt so bad when she found out what uh, what was actually going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the child was um, telling her that someone in the family was touching her cookie. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the teacher was just saying, well, what's wrong with that? They had, you know, they ate your cookies. Don't you want to share and those kind of things? But really um, she was trying to share that she was being violated. And, of course, when the teacher at some point realized that that was the case, you know, she felt she was mortified, but that was because the child was using language that was not universal. Exactly. That's what you said. Mm-hmm. my point, Doc. <laughs> wow. I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, here it is. A child is crying out for help. But, again, just as you said, mm-hmm. Sarissa, it's not universal language. So, my God, you know, mm-hmm. wow. Crying out for help and then still. Yeah. And so I don't know if they're, golly, I mean, we can't put all the onus on 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 the teachers or anybody else, but it's like, man, it's like a whole other education that you need to go through in order to hear where the child may say this or they may say that, you know? Um, wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm at a loss. I'm at a loss right now. Wow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Man. You know, one of the other things in um, when we when we you know dive into the childhood trauma, man, there there are so many adults around now, and you know, each of you all have hit on this um, that have never begun to peel back the layers. And part of this again goes to our community seeing mental health or seeing counseling as some form of taboo, or you know, if you're in the church sometimes that you don't have faith or that, you know, um, you're not trusting God. But in order to begin to function, and, and then you wonder why people are responding the way they're responding, you know, we're not, we're, 
we're making them feel like they're abnormal or seeking any type of counseling, man. I've had so many conversations to where it irks me. People will take the time to find the right hairdresser, to find the right barber, but if they have one bad experience with a counselor, they just want to throw the whole hat in, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Someone else. So it's like, why can we not take that same formula when you don't like something else? You don't just quit on it. You see it as a need. Mm. You see it as a need to have your hair looking a certain way. You see it as, you know. So because of that, you're going to take that extra effort to make sure that you find somebody that can meet the need. And it needs to be the same mental stability. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You, you really have to be ready to. Um, you know, to unpack, mm-hmm. honestly. Yeah. Um, you know, there are certain, because there are layers, you know, there are mm-hmm. certain points in your life or certain maybe relationships or life changes that trigger um, certain emotional responses. Um, and that at that point you realize, okay, I really need to deal with it, right? Um, and, and so you have to be ready because when you start to unpack that trauma, what I often tell my patients is it's like surgery, um, you know, so you're going to, you get worse before you get better. And so for any of us who have had surgery, when they cut us open, um, you know, they're saying, I got to go in, I got to get whatever this part, I got to fix this part. Um, and then after we wake up from the surgery, we're in so much pain that we're trying to figure out why we did that in the first place. Um, but as you recover, the recovery, maybe you have to do physical therapy. It's painful, but ultimately you're stronger. Um, and by the end of the recovery, you may have a scar that reminds you of the pain of whatever happened to you, but you're mm-hmm. still better than you were before you started the process and started the journey. But I think oftentimes if we're not honest about what it's going to take for you to unpack, what it's going to take okay. for you to really heal. So when people start digging up that stuff and they, you know, they do what we say decompensate, um, they start doing poorly. They have a lot more anxiety and, you know, nightmares because you, I mean, you're digging up all this stuff that you've buried for years, and some people mm-hmm. don't want to do that, you know, because it's work. Yeah. It is. It is definitely yeah. work because um, I, I remember, mm-hmm. you know, beginning the process. And, um, you know, I had times where I dodged dodge the, the, the therapy session because guess what? I didn't you gave me homework and I really didn't want to deal with that homework. You know? Mm-hmm. But I had to pull myself back together and to go there. You know, and sometimes it's like, well guess what? I know I didn't do my homework but it's that I didn't want to deal with that pain. I didn't want to face because it's not always when you're going to counseling that you're constantly pointing your finger at somebody else. But, man, when you're digging deep and you're seeing some things with, with, within your own self that needs to change, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. sometimes you just yeah, don't yeah. want to deal with it, but it's necessary. I mean, I've been in counseling where I've been flip the table over, you know, I mean, angry enough to where I'm standing up. But, however, man, it it later on, it helped me because I'm peeling back these layers and I'm beginning to understand mm-hmm. myself more. Um, and so because of that, I thank God for that because I know what my triggers are now. You know what I'm saying? And I can still, you know, you still have different things that happen in life, but when I may have that blow up or something angers me so bad, I have to go back and 
say, okay, Lord, what is it about this particular situation that made me this angry? You know what I'm saying? And I have to go back and dig and see, okay, well, pull this up. You know, but I can honestly say that doing counseling, going to therapy has helped me to begin to look at things differently. Right. Right. I always talk about repurposing your trauma. So that's my little thing. Repurpose your trauma. You know, I know that you've been through this and you're doing the work to do this, but now what? I'm going to make this trauma work for me. Now I've, you know, I've done this work. Now I'm now I'm out here trying to get other people and convince other people, hey, do the work. It's not easy. You know what I'm saying? It's going to be some days where you don't feel like you're out of bed. You're going to cry. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to be angry. But at the end of that thing, on the other side of it, and remember that, you know, becoming um, becoming undone and unpacked is a lifelong journey. Because like um, Dr. Sarissa said, one thing I, I wanted to point out is that she talked about the fact that, hey, you know, it's going to be certain hey, you, in your somebody life. Somebody got their phone. Hold on a second, Aaliyah. I'm sorry. Somebody got their phone on speakerphone. Can you please take it off? Go ahead, Aaliyah. Um, I, um, Dr. Sarissa said um, something about, um, you know, it's not, it's like certain things you don't realize is bothering you or something that um, um, that happens in your life until you get into a relationship or until something else happens and then you realize, oh, this is an issue here. So, therefore, that's a lifelong process, you know, because you Absolutely. might not, you might have, you know, another relationship at age 30 and that brings up some things from when you was five. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like right. um, married for umpteen years and, re- and something happened in your marriage, and then you start feeling abandonment and rejection, things that was, that happened when you was a kid. So now you got to go back and deal with really that. That's the problem. So, like, it's just just understanding that this, this um, childhood trauma when you begin to unpack it, you will be unpacking it for a while. It won't be right. a mm-hmm. type of thing. You will be unpacking for a while because there's some traumas that you didn't face until you had children and you realized you had some issues because now I have children, now I can see that issue because you didn't see it before right. children. So I can understand when people say, oh, you got to be this before this happens because you don't mm-hmm. know when this what that's going to pull out of you. Exactly. So yeah, we're being healed. Would you say I can hear the last thing you said, Aaliyah? I, I just said that you know you just got to continue to keep growing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Wow. We are woo, five. We we have looking at five minutes left. Um, Aaliyah, um, do you have any? last minutes of wisdom nuggets that you want to talk about. And also, please give the title of, of your of, of the book. Uh, um, the book is I Am Enough. It's a um, 12-month devotional. Um, and it's uh, several different stories by several different um, um, beautiful young ladies who found their way into I Am Enough by unpacking um, childhood traumas or whatever the case may be. Um, so they just talk about those and give you practical examples or practical things to do to help you 
um, in your journey to I Am Enough. Um, I'll be coming out with my own self-titled book as well um, to go deeper into my childhood trauma and my pursuit of um, living on purpose and repurposing my uh, my trauma for for better. Um, looking at uh, so uh, what would I say um, is that um, my past is my friend. And the reason why I look at it like that is because when it shows up, I'm no longer ashamed about it. I'm no longer angry with it. I'm no longer um, – it, it no mm-hmm. longer has a hold on me the way that it used to. What it does is it tells me how much God loves me. It tells me that, mm-hmm. hey, I have work to do to help other people. It tells me mm-hmm. that I'm stronger than I thought I was and that not only did I survive my childhood, but now in my adulthood I am thriving and I am the woman that I am because I've got through all of those things. And I like who I am now. Amen. 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 I love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait a minute. Once, Aaliyah, you didn't tell them if someone wanted to get the book, where they could get it from. Oh, well, you can go to Amazon, get the book from Amazon. Amazon. Yeah. And again, just put in, I, I am enough. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You can put in my last right. name, sign in, and it, pull it up. All right. Okay. Dr. Hughes, any, any last words of wisdom for us for this week? I think that is wonderful. Um, Aliyah and I are, are two peas in a pod. Um, what you talk about um, is there's actually a term for that called post-traumatic growth. Um, mm-hmm. That talks about, you know, when you are, when you get past, it, it doesn't negate the pain that you've experienced, um, but on the opportunities that you've gained, um, the relationships um, that you have, and just all of the positive things that have come out of the fact that you've experienced those things and, and the fact that you are who you are um, because mm-hmm. of them, not in spite of them, but because of them, yeah. and really embracing that as a part of your story. Um, so I think it's absolutely beautiful. Not everyone gets to that point um, because there's so much shame that's associated with trauma um, but what I think is fascinating, and I think scientists are fascinated, is when growth happens in unlikely places. Um, you yes. know, so plants that grow in valleys or right. in places where there's no water, um, growth is happening. You know, sometimes we mm-hmm. can't see it or we don't necessarily see it as growth. We only see the discomfort that's happening. Um, but growth can certainly happen in those uncomfortable places. So getting to a point where we embrace all of it, and it is a lifelong journey. Um, and so I love the fact that um, she shared that. That was beautiful. Oh, yeah, definitely, man. Pastor Tracy, what you got for us? Hey, hey, hey right quick. Um, I know that all of us that are on the call, the hosts, are, are believers. And what I would say, now that we know better, we are responsible for teaching better. Mm-hmm. And create and look for opportunities that we could share the truth of our stories and how, you know, we overcame and we we're, were able to overcome by the power of Jesus Christ. And mm-hmm. to infuse that in other people so that the truth 
of the liberating gospel can set more people free and that we can teach our children better, children better. We can interact with our neighbors better, even those that hate us. You know, in Luke chapter 6, verse uh, uh, around 9 and 10, after he goes through the litany of saying, you know, pray for those who despitefully use you, pray for your enemies, do good to those who, he said, after you do all of these things, then you qualify as being children of God. Mm-hmm. So loving our enemies and, and loving, you know, those who mistreat us and all this stuff, we have to forgive them. We have to love them. We have to uh, still share the grace of God with them, even mm-hmm. when they do us horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's not always an easy task. We have to be oh real. It's God. not always an easy task, but oh it's necessary. My but it's necessary because it's freeing for you as the individual. Um, you know, it's so it is, you know, it, it's just, it's necessary. Um, as always, um, it's definitely an honor to share the platform with such phenomenal. Um, I thank each of you for not finding it robbery to take the time to come on the show, to talk about, your areas of, of expertise and just to jump in because each of us want to see a healing process for our community. And how we do that is by talking about these difficult topics. And not only that we're pointing a finger at how we're being treated in other communities, but we got to look at what we're doing in our own community to our own selves. And so helping people to take that responsibility or dropping those nuggets in those gems that someone else can grow from that. And and that is each of our prayers, you know, that people can grow from the information that is being shared here and that they share it with other people, that they tell someone else. So, again, I thank you all. Um, Definitely, I I thank you. I appreciate you. I thank God for you. And um, I'm just going to say, man, we're going to talk about the impact of trauma on physical health. Um, we're going to dive into that. So, again, this is Pressure Points Unpacked. I'm your host, Tyra Little. Um, we're here every Tuesday live at 6 o'clock. You can always catch a replay on we're Spotify, iHeart, Stitcher, um, whatever platform is out there, I think we we'll, we'll probably pretty much have it covered. So um, we'll see you next week, and thank you, and be blessed. It's already-